0: Log Talk Radio. Roll down, touch your life.
1: Don't you know there's plans to be found? Welcome to the Sunbury Press Book Show on the BookSpeak Network. I'm your host, Lawrence Knorr, the founder and CEO of Sunbury Press. Sunbury Press publishes print, audio, and electronic books under 20 different imprints in a variety of categories sold worldwide wherever books are sold. This episode, we have author Daniel Joseph discussing his book about Lou Gehrig, the Yankee Great, entitled Last Ride of the Iron Horse. Lou Gehrig Day, the first Lou Gehrig Day, is June 2nd in a few days. This annual league-wide celebration will be a time to not only honor the legacy of this Hall of Fame first baseman, but to also raise awareness and funds to fight ALS. Dan Joseph is a Washington-based journalist, editor, and writer, and a senior editor in the Voice of America Central Newsroom. He's the author of Last Ride of the Iron Horse, the first book to examine Lou Gehrig's 1938 season. Gehrig's last full year in the Yankee lineup as he began to battle symptoms of the fatal disease ALS. Dan is also a baseball historian and discovered the audio clip of Gehrig saying that, yes, Babe Ruth did hit a called shot home run in the 1932 World Series. I guess I should say, yes, he did call the shot because we all know he hit the home run. Dan has run the Africa desk in the VOA newsroom for more than 15 years, and he previously co-authored with Harun Marouf, Inside Al-Shabaab, The Secret History of Al-Qaeda's Most Powerful Ally, a study of, of the Somalia-based Islamist militant group. Dan Joseph, welcome. Good to have you back. Thank you, Lawrence. Glad to be here. Wow, that was a lot to say to introduce you. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> why, do, why don't we start with, you know, not everybody knows Luke Gehrig. So if, if I wasn't much of a baseball fan or didn't know any baseball history, Who was Lou Gehrig, if you could kind of give us an overview of Lou?
0: On the field, Lou Gehrig is, in my opinion, the greatest first baseman of all time. He was the uh, anchor of the Yankee infield for about 15 years, from 1925 to, I guess, the beginning of the 1939 season. And he's most famous for playing in 2,130 consecutive games, which was the record for decades until broken by Cal Ripken in right. 1995. And uh, he was a slugger, like, like almost no one else. He uh, would usually hit about 35 or 40 homers a season, lead the league in RBIs, had a three forty lifetime batting average. And with Babe Ruth, he formed what is unquestionably the biggest one-two punch in baseball history that was that was on the field off the field he was uh known for being kind of a quiet guy who was happy more or less to exist in ruth's awesome shadow uh and uh what's interesting though is that at the time that that my book is the time my book is examining 1938 at that time lou was starting to move beyond Ruth's shadow. He he had become a celebrity in his own right, and he was uh, he made a movie. He made a western, which we can discuss, and uh, he was starting to make speeches. Uh, and he was uh, he had become uh, a celebrity sports figure, probably if not the most famous among the most famous in America, and then of course he was hit it's still in the prime of his career, he was hit by ALS. And the book examines how he coped with that as it slowly began to sap his strength and take away his baseball superpowers. And, uh, and the book examines how he coped with that and the reaction, uh, which culminated in the famous Lou Gehrig Appreciation Day, July 4th, 1939, yeah. Yankee Stadium. Where he made a, uh, you know, his memorable speech, and said, "I today I consider myself the luckiest man on the face of the earth." Yeah,
1: probably one of the most uh, famous baseball speeches it has to be up there in the top five, if not number oh, one. Oh. yeah. I mean, I know Babe, I was, Babe I Ruth came and gave away. a farewell, and I don't know that that's as memorable. I don't know who would, who else would be as memorable as Lou Gehrig's farewell. <laughs> Baseball speeches. I mean, hmm. yeah,
0: <laughs> that, that could be a, a good top ten article. I can't. I can't, yeah. uh, I can't uh, think, think of anyone else who would. Yeah, a, I can't. Yeah. Okay,
1: anyway. Yeah. yeah. So, um, uh, I guess tell us a little bit about that thirty-eight. I guess it was the thirty-eight season, right? Mm-hmm. So at, at that point, uh, Ruth has. Had moved on. I guess he went to the Boston Braves for a little bit and retired. I think in '34. Yeah, '35. Uh, he went to the Braves. '35. So Gehrig is the, I guess the, you know, he's the focus of the Yankees offense at that point. I know they had some other great players as well, but he kind of inherits for for a few years, you know, Ruth's mantle and becomes the focus. So, uh, so all of a sudden. What do were there yes, any traces yes. of his, any issues at all the year before, or earlier in his career at all? Were there any hints of this, this terrible no, disease, or did no, this all I, come on all of a sudden?
0: Well, uh, in '37 he looked as as good as he ever did. He had like 37 homers, 154 RBIs. The Yankees won the World Series. He had a home run off Carl Hubble in the uh, in the World Series. You know, Hubble was a great pitcher, so it was like really, there were no indications. And then he got to spring training in 1938, and sports writers noticed something that he was he was getting hits in the exhibition games, but they were all singles, and you know, no, no extra base hits, and this was unusual. Uh, and Garag actually said later on that he was starting to feel weakness in his back. And, and then you know, I found uh, this quote, this was from about three days before the opening of the 38th season where he was talking to a guy from the New York Post and you know, the guy complimented him, hey, you have the highest batting average on the team for the spring. And Garrett said, yeah, but I have to figure out what's wrong with my hitting. I'm not. Uh, I'm taking a you know a real cut at the ball, but it's it's what he, the words he used. It's not taking the proper zoom, and uh-huh. I think what he noticed was it didn't have what we what today we would call the exit velocity. It wasn't uh, flying off his bat the way it normally did, and right. th- and that's why he was getting singles. Um, and then it, once the season started, uh, he fell into this horrible slump. He he went like 20 at bats without getting a hit, and he he ended the first month of the season hitting 109 and he just, he could not get going for uh, really for most of the season. I mean, he, he improved after that. He, he got up to a point where he, he was hitting in the two seventies and starting to hit at least occasional home runs, but there was definitely something wrong and um, the, the mystery or the, the slump lasted most of the season Except for this one extraordinary period in August, where for about three weeks he went back to being Lou Gehrig again, the real Lou Gehrig, and he he hit uh, it were like a couple of weeks where his batting average was about four thirty, and he had uh, seven home runs in you know twenty. It was I think what seven homers, seven doubles, twenty-seven RBIs in a in a two-week period. Wow. And then uh, <laughs> he uh, double headers in one week. Because there were a lot of rainouts, and he played all twelve games, played nine innings each game, and you know that that's that's incredible feat, even if you don't have AOS. You know he he didn't wow. miss, and this was all all day games, all in the heat of August. He he didn't miss a single inning. Um, and then uh, after this sudden reversal, last five weeks of the season. He, became, he suddenly became a singles hitter. I mean, a real, he, he was hitting almost nothing but singles. He was walking a lot, too, which kind of indicates to me he was, he was trying to get on base other ways because he knew something was off. And um, in the World Series, which the Yankees won, you know, I've heard it said that he was kind of a non-contributor. That, that wasn't really true. He actually did get hits, and he did score runs. But again, it was all singles. Uh, the one time he tried to stretch a single into a double, he got thrown out at second. Um, and the other Yankees noticed, you know, what's going on with Lou. He's not hitting with any power. So...
1: Was he moved in the lineup at all? He he probably was hitting fourth most of the time up to then.
0: Yeah, for most of the season he'd been hitting... Well, no, most of his career he had been hitting Mm -hmm. fourth. And Joe McCarthy, the manager, dropped him to sixth at one point Mm -hmm. and then moved him back up to fifth. And and that was, I mean, that that was a, a... the whole the whole season was something of a blow to Garrett psyche he he was really struggling trying to figure out what is wrong he just couldn't seem to hit the way he normally did and people thought he looked slow on the bases and slow in the field um which makes this period in august where he suddenly got the old snapback back uh, kind of uh very intriguing to me i i, I talked with a als researcher and and he thinks that Garrett may have had a temporary ALS reversal during that time, which is a phenomenon doctors have studied trying to document it. Because apparently ALS patients do sometimes have temporary plateaus or slight reversals, um, and the cause of which is not clear. Um, it's um, the whole, the whole season I, I thought was fascinating. That's why I wrote, I thought I thought it was just astounding that he was able to play the whole season, and he didn't wind up hitting 29 home runs, drove in 114, and played every single game while suffering with the early effects of ALS.
1: That's amazing. <laughs> That's it. Might be the most amazing baseball season for a player ever, when you consider the situation. Because uh, right early the next season he's he's done right. He was done. You. Early
0: 39, he, he got to spring training, and everyone noticed immediately he had gotten even slower and more clumsy. Than, he, he hadn't really been clumsy in 38. He'd just been slow. 39, he was clumsy. He was dropping uh, you know, routine catches. He yeah. could not seem to hit the ball out of the infield. Uh, and McCarthy kept him in there throughout the exhibition games because you know, he had the streak. You know, he didn't, McCarthy didn't want to break the streak. Uh, the regular season, he played eight games, hit only four singles, all of, none of which were terribly impressive. He was he was dropping uh, throws from his uh, teammates, and balls were just sort of clanking off his glove. And finally, he made the decision in Detroit on May second, thirty of thirty nine, to remove himself from the lineup. He just he couldn't bear the Embarrassment anymore, and and frankly, the, his teammates, not publicly, but behind the scenes, had been grumbling that they there's no way they could win with him playing first base. And uh Eleanor, his wife, had she had quietly been lobbying that it, maybe it was time to sit down. And then she urged him to go to the Mayo Clinic in Rochester, Minnesota, and he went there for an exam, and that's when they found out he yeah. had. It, uh,
1: So when was Lou Gehrig Day back then where he gave his luckiest man speech? What was that date? Do you know? That
0: was was, uh, July 4th of 39 at Yankee Stadium.
1: So it was the season uh, that he retired. Yeah. Had he officially retired before that or was that his announcement?
0: It had been after he went to the Mayo Clinic. The doctors released a statement saying he had ALS and wouldn't be able to play anymore. And that I, I guess that would be the official retirement. He, after the game on May second in Detroit, he never played a regular season again. Although it's funny, he kept working out. He kept hoping somehow that his yeah. his gifts would return, uh, and he would take infield practice and batting practice and things like that. And apparently, there were a couple real turning points. One, um, he he actually played in an exhibition game. The Yankees were in Kansas City and they played a game against their top minor league team, the Kansas City Blues. And Garrett went in and he played three innings, uh, caught a line drive, but the line drive knocked him over. Ooh. And he I think he struck out twice and finally he removed himself after three innings. It just It was clear he couldn't play. And then a few days later, the Yankees were in Detroit again and the Tigers were going to have an old-timers game. Uh, there was an old Tiger Hall of Famer named Sam Crawford who yeah. was taking batting practice. Now, Sam Crawford at the time was about 60 years old, and he was hitting line drives off the fence you know, against this batting practice pitcher. And then Garrett stepped in against the same pitcher, and he couldn't hit anything stronger than an infield dribbler. Wow. And that's when he decided that, all right, I guess, this is not going to go away. I better go to the Mayo Clinic, and of course that's where they diagnosed
1: him. Yeah. And then how how much longer did he live? It wasn't too much longer, like a couple of years. No, well,
0: he yeah he only lived two more years. Um, forty one. Kept traveling. Uh, forty one. He died. He or he died on June second of forty one, which is one reason MLB is holding Lou Garrett Day on uh, on June second. The the other reason being that June second was the day. That Garrett took over as the Yankees' first baseman in 1925, and, and then didn't relinquish the position for 14 years. Um, yeah, he only lived a couple more years after 39. Yeah. One of the things the book covers are, is how he lived during those two years. Um, you know, the Yankees let him go. They let him. They, he traveled with the team for the whole 39 season and during the World Series, not not playing, just traveling with the team. And then the Yankees gave him. You know the door so to speak uh and he got a job with the city of new york as a parole commissioner and he did that work for about a year and a half he he, he kept working up until about april of 1941 and then finally it just got too physically exhausting for him to go to the office and uh the book covers uh, some of his activities during this time he he actually did try to stay in the public eye for a while in various ways he made ra- radio appearances um he would pop up at concerts and things like that and then finally uh the end came on uh june 2nd of 41 at his home with uh with eleanor and a couple other people by his side
1: and now, now he made um, a western movie at one point how what year was that and was that during his als issue that or was, was it before
0: uh, well the question is was it before or after i mean what and was he really having symptoms at the time he made it in january of 1938 he and eleanor took a cross-country trip uh they drove cross-country and that, that's the opening scene in the book right. and then uh he made this uh movie and uh people have watched this movie over the years and tried to, to decide well did he did he look weak in this scene or were his muscles beginning to atrophy? and i've watched the movie and i i it's my opinion that at that time he wasn't exhibiting any symptoms. There's a scene in the movie where he literally picks up a grown man and holds him above his head. And <laughs> you can tell you can tell from the film. It's not a uh, it's not a camera trick. He liter he actually picks up this person and holds him over his head. And you, uh, you can't do that I, in my I think if you have ALS even if you're using a very lightweight man.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I I would agree. So tell us uh, a little bit about what Major League Baseball is doing this year and uh, hopefully every year hereafter on June 2nd. Uh,
0: they're trying to raise awareness of ALS, which is, which is still kind of a rare disease uh, and also raise funds for the research of ALS. The uh, couple of, uh, th- th- this whole movement started really a few years ago with the ALS bucket challenge which is, and I'm sure everyone
1: has yeah, seen it
0: yeah, before. Oh, you did it. Oh, okay. Yeah, you I, did I did dumped the dump ice it?
1: water on my head. Yep. <laughs> <laughs>
0: what, what was that like? I, I never did it, did it personally.
1: It, it's uh, shocking. Yeah, it's, uh, <laughs> and you got to make a video of it, and it's kind of funny. And you, I guess they're supposed to surprise you. Like my kids came up and, and dumped it on me. I knew it was going to happen, but you didn't know exactly what second. The ice was going to hit, <laughs> but yeah, it, it's it was a fun thing, very, very clever, very creative yeah. Uh, promotion. Yeah,
0: that well, that raised about 115 million dollars
1: wow. for ALS
0: research. And MLB, a couple of years ago, this started. This movement started with uh, to make June 2nd Lou Gehrig Day. There are there are only two other players in baseball who have days named no, Jackie Robinson. Jackie Robinson. And then the other is Roberto Clemente
1: Right. Uh,
0: so this, this will be the third um, And There was a couple broad, A broadcaster named uh, Boog Schiambi He used to be uh, an announcer For the Braves and the Marlins And he got behind this And the uh, father of Stephen Piscotti uh, Who Played for the A's I think Or plays, I'm not sure He, uh, he got involved In this these were people who, who had ALS impact, you know, someone close to them, mainly. Um, and the movement succeeded last year. The, the general managers in baseball got behind us and said we need to do something about it because ALS is kind of, as, as they said, it's, it's Lou Gehrig's disease, which makes it baseball's disease. Mm-hmm. It's something that baseball is identified with and really is in a position to do something about so on June second, there will be commemorations in all the stadiums, and I'm sure on MLB Network uh, about Lou Gehrig and the disease, and, and they'll be raising money for uh, to find a cure. There's, you know, it's 70 what 80 years after Lou Gehrig died, there was still no cure for ALS. It's still 100 percent fatal. Um, yeah. You know, sometimes people live two years. Sometimes they live five years, but Right now, there's no defeating this disease. So that's why MLB uh, is getting behind it and trying to do something.
1: Yeah, it's a, it's a wonderful thing to do. And, but when you say 80 years, it's like, wow, <laughs> maybe, maybe they could have done this, you know, decades ago. They could have started. But, yeah. hey, better late than never. I think it's a wonderful idea. Yeah. I know uh, at least one person who's suffering from this uh, has, is managing it with medication that's extending his life but i i don't know the prognosis i never ask when i talk to him but i i've noticed over this the 10 years that i've known him and he was diagnosed about six years ago um just a gradual even under the medication a gradual decline um
0: there there are medications today that can slow the progression a little bit but not yeah not restive yeah right Six years, six years is pretty good for uh,
1: surviving with ALS. Yeah, I think so. All right. Well, we did talk. About, we teased everybody with this called shot thing. So <laughs> I'll set you up for that. Tell us a little yeah. bit about that 32 World Series and what you've discovered.
0: Well, recently. this was uh, in 2020. I, I, uh, I, I love old time radio and I like to dig up. Of baseball games and just baseball figures speaking on the radio, because you know a lot of the old timers, we don't know what they sounded like. They they existed uh, before the era of like post game interviews and uh, celebrity things and uh, TV. So now we knew what Lou Gehrig sounded like, but I you know when I was researching the book, I was on the lookout for clips of him, and I found a reference to an interview Garrett did, excuse me, Garrett did um, just a couple of days after the 1932 world series. I contacted the old time radio researcher who had it. And I think he didn't really realize what he was sitting on. And uh, I he, I paid him to make a copy of this show. It was the Rudy Valley hour or the Fleischman yeast hour on NBC. Uh-huh. And uh, he, sent me, he sent me the clip, and, and bam, there it is: Lou Gehrig talking about Babe Ruth called shot. And according to Gehrig in this clip, Babe Ruth did call his shot. He did point at the center field wall and say, "I'm going to hit the next one out," and then and then proceeded to do that off the Cubs, Charlie Root. Yep. Um. And this, I you know, it's funny. I held on to it for a while because I wasn't sure what to do with it. I, it wasn't. It didn't really fit my book. And I wasn't sure, do I just, you know, October 1st, which was the 88th anniversary of Garrett hitting, I'm sorry, of Ruth hitting the cold shot. I just decided midday, I saw a lot of people discussing it online. I thought, you know what, I'm just going to toss it out there. And I did. And I swear within 10 seconds, it had been retweeted by Sabre, the uh, Society for American Baseball Research. Mm -hmm. And within five minutes, it was just careening all over the place on Twitter. And since then, it's been viewed something like 220,000 times. Wow. Uh, and, <laughs> it, it but now, now, now for some people, Garrick's comments settles the issue. You know, Garrick, Garrett, he was on deck. Lou would never lie. So Ruth must've called a shot. And then other people say, well, yeah, Garrick sounds like he's reading from a script. And
1: oh.
0: uh, or maybe he's just going along with the myth, which, you know, which was started to be created the, the next day after Ruth called the shot. Um, So the, the debate goes on. I, this probably has moved the needle a little bit more toward,
1: mm-hmm.
0: yes, mm-hmm. Ruth did call his shot. Uh, it would be interesting if somebody could take a before and after poll. Did
1: you know, anybody ever write a book on the called shot? I think there have been two.
0: Okay. I, I, All right. Uh, there before this before I,
1: this audio was available, or since
0: both before
1: okay so hey there's you know, an idea <laughs> <laughs> hey Dan, we're almost out of time. we're down to four minutes, so uh maybe you could give us a little bit on what you're working on and how we can we can find your work.
0: Well, the thing I'm working on right now, I'm working on a biography of Pete Reeser, who was uh, the great Brooklyn Dodger outfielder in the 1940s. In my opinion, could have been a superstar on the level of Joe DiMaggio, Stan Musial. A lot of people said Reeser was as good or better than Stan Musial. He had this one problematic habit. He kept crashing into outfield walls whenever he okay. would, you know he 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 would chase five balls and he didn't seem to understand there was a wall there and he would literally run head first into a wall uh and and he just, he played recklessly in general and just he ruined his career with uh injuries and the, and the Dodgers actually had a hand in this because he would uh he'd be willing to play even though he had double vision and dizziness and Leo DeRocher the Dodger manager would say get out there kid and Pete would say okay boss and uh, I wonder how many exactly concussions what he, he had. had. Yeah. Um some people say I'm like 11, something mm. like that. And uh he went from being a uh, National League batting champion to just sort of being this guy who could only occasionally pinch hit or pitch or pinch run because he he just battered himself up so badly. So uh that that's been my main focus lately and then just putting things out have a YouTube channel with old baseball clips. Uh, uh base, I, that's where you can find uh, Lou Gehrig called shot uh, clips. Yeah. Also, I have interviews with people like Honus Wagner and Ty Cobb and um, other other material You know, there that I think any fan of uh, baseball history would enjoy.
1: Awesome. When will the Pete Reeser book be uh, complete? No pressure.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I'm probably about <laughs> 80 or 90% done at this point. Awesome. I'm just trying to fill in some holes. I, I, I talked to his daughter. For the book. And I nice. got some uh, rare photos. So I, I, it, I, I'm really happy with the way it's
1: turning out. Uh, well, Dan, it's been great to have you on again. Do have to go. So uh, okay. hopefully to have you back Good with the research book. <laughs> All right. Yes. Yes. Yep. All right. We've been talking to Dan Joseph about Lou Gehrig Day, June 2nd, 2021. 2021. This has been the Sunbury Press Book Show on the BookSpeak Network. Be sure to check out our books at www.sunburypress.com or search for our titles on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and other booksellers worldwide. If you enjoyed this podcast, there are hundreds more available on the BookSpeak network. You can find our channel on blogtalkradio.com. Thank you for listening.